Alrighty. Hello, everybody. This is another episode of On a Shoestring. Today is going to be another interesting episode. The interview will be with Eric Wiltshire, and he is a expat currently living in Slovakia, and he is originally from the UK. How are you doing, Eric? I'm good, Sol. How are you? Fantastic. It's pretty exciting to be doing a podcast with you because I've watched quite a few of your RTI episodes and I've always enjoyed them. Thank you. So um, for everybody listening, can you tell us a little bit of your background in one to two minutes? <laughs> yeah. um, I'll try for you. I, I guess being a child of the 60s and in the UK, uh, we had very little radio, so I'll stay with the radio side of things for now. And uh, a very clever Irishman decided to put a radio station on a ship three miles outside of territorial waters. Um, so he was outside government control. And the government then said, oh, well, make it illegal for you to operate, work on, support, supply, advertise on these offshore radio stations. And as a young teenager, that made me very annoyed. And one of the things I try to do as much as possible is never get angry, get even. And it's far more fun getting even. So that sort of prompted me to become a radio person. Uh, I've had such a lucky career in that I've worked for really big stations like Radio Luxembourg, the BBC World Service, LBC in London, and many, many more. And now I look after Radio Tatras International in Slovakia, and uh, we broadcast around the world. So that's the public history. Oh, that's, wow, I mean, pretty effective time there. One minute, seven seconds. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um, that's actually really interesting. So I, um, looking over your website and everything, I didn't know about the... Uh, offshores broadcasting and what was going on with international waters. So that will definitely prompt some good history discussion for after the call. Okay, you're um, on. So with your time as a radio broadcaster and then working with different uh, news networks and everything, when did you start? Because looking at your website, you had stuff that definitely went back into the 90s. And there's some very interesting stuff. And some, and before that as well. Um, I, <laughs> I hate to admit this, but I was the young lad who nearly blew his parents' house up by building a little radio studio when I was probably in my late single years or early 13, 14 years old. And yeah. I would listen to the radio and pretend to be a radio DJ. Um, and, and that's how it started and a few years later <clears throat> I worked on some very um, interesting radio stations that didn't have a license and I um, was also a mobile DJ I worked in huge nightclubs in London and the one thing that struck me all the time was that corporate radio was an absolute disaster and people spend more time 
looking after the shareholders than the listeners. Now, I know you have to look after shareholders, I do, but at the end of the day, the most important person in broadcasting, on television or radio, is actually the listener or the viewer. If you don't get it right for them, the rest of it falls to pieces. So I had some great peers over the time, people like Emperor Roscoe, people like Mike Knight, Steve Allen, to name but three, who've taken me in and, without chastising me too much, have looked at what I do and then tried to enhance that rather than kill it. And, and I have to say thank you to all those guys around the world that have done that for me. Yeah. Well, that's really great to hear. I know growing up as a kid, I think for my maybe 11th or 12th birthday, I was given a uh, hand-winding radio that you would charge up and then you could tune it. And I remember listening to the World Cup over radio, which was really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And then also listening to, um, I guess, I don't know if it's the World Cup. It wasn't soccer. It was baseball. I guess the World Series. I, it's It's been so long since I've been a baseball fan. But I've also listened to maybe the Super Bowl over radio. And mm-hmm. it was really interesting to think about the broadcasting of sports and trying to imagine what's going on and really depending on a, a scoreboard. But with your experience talking about corporate radio versus um, unlicensed radio studios and everything, how many radio studios were there when you were growing up? And has it gone down? Has it gone up? Or has there been a fluctuation over the, the decades? Um, well, I'll come back to a point you made earlier, and I'll do the studios in a second for you. The, yep. the interesting thing is that your clockwork as it was, was invented by a gentleman called Trevor Bayliss. And Trevor lived in the middle of the River Thames in London on a tiny little island called Eel Pie Island. And he was the most wonderful, charismatic character uh, you could ever wish. Some people would say he was a little bit silly, um, but he wasn't. It was because his brain was always doing things. And he went, believe it or not, from your clockwork radio he went to shoes that when you walk, charge up your mobile phone. And that was my dear friend, not with us any longer, Trevor Bayliss. And going on to the studio thing, today there's a a much larger proliferation of studios, primarily because of digital and the internet. And it means that, whereas before, I mean, I I can remember looking at budgets of £50,000 for a studio, Whereas today, you can make a really high-quality studio for a couple of thousand. It doesn't include transmission. That's just making the programming. Now, with with that lower cost, it invites so many smaller groups to have community radio, local radio, campus radio, and and on and on it goes. And so the, the, the amount of radio stations there are now is much higher. It doesn't always mean that the choice is greater, because unfortunately with the, the higher numbers becomes what I call vanity radio, which is radio that's produced for the owner rather than the listener. And, and you find that very much here tomorrow. So you get a complete um, 
rollover of stations all the time. Uh, but going back to your point of listening to the Super Bowl or the World Series, the one thing that radio can do that television can never do, and papers have no chance of doing it, is radio can paint pictures that television can only dream of. And I say that because, uh, and, and I'll share a silly story with you, I, I was once broadcasting in Holland, just outside of um, Amsterdam in a small town called Herr Hugovart. And it because we were doing a satellite program yeah. and uh, we had people from all around the world there. Now, one guy kept walking out to me, he said, where's Lee? He's over there. Where? I can't see him. And it suddenly, after uh, shortening the conversation a bit, it suddenly dawned on me that during every program I'd done uh, on this guy's radio station, I depicted Lee as, uh, you know, several hundred pounds, um, bald hair, spotty face, with a beard, which was completely the opposite of what Lee really was. He, he, you know, he was um, sort of low hundreds in pounds. He got a full head of hair, no beard, and a very good complexion. But radio was painting that picture that the listener was actually hanging on to. And in their mind, they'd built up an image of Lee, which was completely different. Now, that's one thing that radio can do and other medium can't. It can paint pictures for you. So I think the, the, the two things with the Super Bowl and with soccer and everything else. When somebody really understands the subject, you can close your eyes and you're there in the stadium watching, sitting alongside that commentator. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and I think you summed it up very well. When you were growing up as a boy, listening to radio and imagining yourself as a DJ, were you ever uh, a, a big fan of sports? Or what kind of uh, genres of radio were you interested in? Um, anything as long as it wasn't the BBC, uh, because the BBC <laughs> used to drive me nuts. Um, back in the day, which, which your, your American listeners will be horrified by, until the offshore stations came along, we had very limited radio. The, the BBC had the light programme, which was horrific. Um, it was the BBC orchestra, the BBC singers, the BBC big band. Uh, yeah. you know, and I'm a teenager. I'm, I want rock and roll, for goodness sake. So yeah. the only thing we had was Radio Luxembourg, which came on at seven in the evening. Or we could listen to AFN, which was the American Forces Network, which we could hear occasionally. And then on would come this amazing music, which was, you know, straight out of the States. And and you would hear the great blues and soul and rock and roll and pop singers. And you're just sitting there going, wow, i got to do that. But later on in life, it became more apparent that I was not the best music DJ on the radio. And I wasn't, you know, I, I make no bones about it. I can produce the stuff, I can, pro- you know, work with the presenters and make it work. But my forte was talk radio, and I found myself listening more and more to speech radio, getting more and more annoyed with people, going, I can do better than that. Um, yeah. And eventually I got a lucky break and did. And 
I will say that sports commentating, which I have done, is one of the hardest you can ever do. It's terribly difficult because every enthusiast at home is an expert. Everybody listening knows the team players, the positions they're in, what they did at the last event. And in England, they're affectionately known as anoraks or overzealous people. And you could guarantee you make one slip up and the switchboard would light up. Today, the the social media would light up because every anorak would tell you you're wrong. And so you have to really research your topic and, and specifically that event because even in, I don't know, let's take Formula One for a second. Not everybody drives, believe it or not, in a Formula One series for the whole year. Sometimes they're off sick, they get the deputy driver, people move around, they have accidents, yada, yada, yada. So you have to learn the precise people in the precise team cars for that day. So you can't live on history. You've got to be there now and right with it. The same goes for uh, baseball, uh, American football, soccer, cricket, doesn't matter. Everything changes at every event. So you've really got to be on the ball. And uh, boy, that I am. I found that uh, whilst sport is fantastic because the adrenaline is amazing, when you get into sport, well, talk Q&A, you're actually having, like we are, a conversation with someone. And it's fantastic. It's absolutely amazing. And you can have dialogue with somebody um, back in the shortwave days or in the internet days of today. You know, somebody can be in Japan. They can be in India. They can be in the Americas. They can be in Australia. And you're sitting there with the honour of actually talking with them, not at them talking with them and and it's a a real honor to be able to do that and that's my love and passion of talk radio yeah so that's actually there's there's a lot of really great topics there and um only recently have i started getting into formula one thanks to the internet but um thinking about shortwave radio versus the internet what which do you prefer do you prefer the older shortwave radio or do you prefer the the newer um live broadcasting with internet streaming oh by far internet streaming um the reason being that and and i this is an absolutely true story I, I had the privilege of working with BBC Engineering um, when they finally accepted me. <laughs> and <laughs> on one particular occasion, the eco people listening are going to cry. We actually had 50 million watts of power. It was enormous. I was, we had Bruce Dickinson on the phone from the US, um, the great rock star, and he said it was the signal was coming better from London than his local AM station. Now, that was fabulous. Uh, We had other people saying, we're clearer than the local BBC station in Africa. And and that was cool too. But it only happened now and again if the conditions were right 
for that signal to get there. And unfortunately, shortwave doesn't do that all the time. Right. Whereas with with internet today, not when it first started today, it yeah. has matured. Uh, the connectivity's improved. Even in the last two years, it's improved tremendously. So that when you turn your radio on in Australia or uh, in Russia, even because uh, we have listeners there, uh, and even in the Africas, because there is a myth that there is nothing in Africa in terms of internet. There is, it's huge. It's yep. just not enough equipment there uh, to do the job properly, but that will come, that will come. And yep. the cost of actually listening now is so low. It, it, I mean, literally go on to eBay, get an old computer for like 20 bucks, turn it on and you can listen to the radio, which is as cheap as buying, you know, a really rubbishy radio from... Uh, a local store so the the internet gives you much better quality when you're actually responding to a listener which is the key point they can hear the whole of the conversation rather than uh, hello Uh, nice talking to you Um, because you can actually hear the whole conversation that's the future Digital is the future. There's no two ways about it. And uh, whilst there will always be some old thinking people, and I say that as a 65-year-old in June, there will always be some old thinking people who go, oh, we must have analogue, you know. No, you don't. You can broadcast as strongly, as efficiently on the internet and digital technology, even satellites, as long as you do it properly. It can match and in many cases be better than certainly shortwave because you can hear it and even better than uh, a because you know, I don't know if you ever listened to a thunderstorm. The thunderstorm goes and all you can hear from your radio is static. Right. You miss half of the conversation. Whereas on the internet, going through your Wi-Fi or Wi-Fi in your car, which is commonplace. Now, I can drive all over Europe with the internet in my car. It doesn't stop once. And because of that, I get quality out to my listeners. And hopefully, by doing so, I can get more information to them. And that's the joy of the internet. Yep. Well, and I think that's been one of my favorite things about watching you as a broadcaster with RTI. Um, You are definitely very engaged with uh, mentioning people's names and then also taking questions. And that's that's always been a really um, endearing experience. And it's really cool to know that the relationship as a listener to you as a, a broadcaster is is recognized and that there are, as, as you're going through international conversations and sharing information and feelings with others, um, mm-hmm. that you're listening and, and you are live time responding and um you, one has to the the problem with some is that they go on the radio and in actual fact they talk too much rather than concentrate on the listener and the other thing to remember is i am no better than any of my listeners they are all the same as me two arms two legs if you like one head and we're all the same so if I want to be disrespectful, which I 
hope I never am. I would just be like most of the presenters and go, oh, thanks a lot, so bye. And they cut you off in midstream or they don't read your message. Yeah. Or they dismiss your message as if it's unimportant. Now, the person that bothers to call or write or message to a live show wherever possible, now you can't do it all the time because it's physically impossible with the time you have, but for the most part, you, in, you should respect the fact that these people have made the effort to communicate with you. And, and let's face it, if you're in a, a coffee shop or a bar or restaurant and someone walks over to you and says, oh, hi, Sol, what do you do? You don't turn your back on them, do you? You talk to them. And that's how, they, that's how radio should be. Yep. <laughs> you, you've actually got me laughing now. There was typically, yes, I, I, I do say hello and have a conversation mm. with somebody if they approach me in a coffee shop. But there was one instance while I was uh, working in Japan and I was uh, sitting in a coffee shop and I had a woman come up to me and she said, excuse me, she handed me a card and then she immediately put her eyes to the ground and then like quickly walked out of the coffee shop. And I had gotten a, uh, like a business card f for, I don't, I do. Are we talking about a working lady? It, it, it wasn't a working, it was, it was a Jehovah's witness, uh, ah. card, but like, like, so, I mean, just, just the irony of it. And I, I don't really want to probe too deep into religion or anything like that, no, no, but, no. Just the, um, like that, that interaction of like, oh, excuse me, here's a, here's a business card to make contact with the local branch of Jehovah Witnesses mm -hmm. and then just immediately leaving. Like it, it had me like thinking about the scenario and thinking that you, you, you can't understand the, the values or the faith or the personalities of people when they hand you information and then just kind of run away and it's <laughs> something much bigger and deeper than that. Well, it, you've, you've actually raised a good point yourself there because when we're on the radio, in all fairness, I have no idea. Uh, I ask regularly where people are so I can try and get a feel for them uh, because obviously when you're conversing with um, and three perfect examples, Australian English, American English, UK English. They are all different, um, and I've studied all three. So if, if you were talking to me about a problem with your car, I would say to you, look under the hood. Now, an English guy, I would say, look under the bonnet, because that's how you respond to them in a way that they can understand. So there are issues when... Somebody turns up with a business card and runs away like crazy. Um, and I, I try not to make that happen on the radio by probing a little bit so I can find out where the person's coming from. And, and equally, when we have the phone-in styles with consumer issues, it's often yep. the case where you have to be honest with people and say, Look, sorry, guy, you're, you're out of time. And, and I had this with... Um, many years ago, it was so funny, uh, the audience found it hysterical. I'm sure the journalist in question didn't. 
yeah. because uh, no names, no pack drill. But it was a person working for Paris Match, the uh, French magazine. Yeah. She'd moved to England and she'd lost some software to make her printer work. So I said to her, well, when did you buy it? She said, about six years ago. And I said, are you really telling me? Because she was very angry with the manufacturer who yeah. wouldn't supply her free software. That They said, if you want to get a new CD to make your printer work, then you'll have to pay a nominal fee. It was a couple of pounds or something. Yeah. And she just wouldn't let go. And so in the end, I said, ma'am, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're pretending to be a journalist using uh, abusive position as a journalist. I think that particular company have done the right thing and you can either go get a new printer or pay them for the... And we put the fader down. Yeah. was there for five more minutes, Sol, ranting <laughs> about how bad this company was. And every now and again, my, my co-host and I would fader up because we didn't cut her off. We could just see her talking because the little light was flashing. So yeah. we'd fade up and we'd go, you're still going on. And then she'd start again. It was unbelievable. And, and then we would cut her off. But in the end, we cut her off completely. The yeah. audience were in absolute stitches. They were laughing. And most of them said, about time somebody told these people they cannot uh, expect everything for nothing for the rest of their lives. And right. you can't. So... There is an equal, there's an equal opposite side to your question, where yes, you do engage, absolutely, but you also have to know when the end of the engagement comes. And right. at that point, you have to say, look, this isn't going to work, uh, I'm out of here, see you later, you do what you want to do. But I would say that's 1% of the calls, if that. The rest of them, we've... We, and I think the other side of it was one night we had a caller from um, one of the senior universities in London and he was about to print the examination papers for the university students and the printer died. Yeah. Now, for some bizarre reason, he couldn't get hold of his IT people. I obviously didn't know their huge network. But yep. I managed to talk this guy through, and he was a, a professor, not a technician. And I managed to talk him through, and you should have heard the scream of delight when this huge printer that he got his laptop plugged into started to print, you know, and really, you could hear it, it was really high speed, print off these final question papers for the students. Now, that made the uh, London Evening Standard as a news documentary piece which was cool. But the real, real fact was we had several thousand students who were able to sit down at nine o'clock in the morning, open the papers, and it was there. That's what radio can do. Yep. Well, that's actually, you know, I, I think that's a really great story. And I, I think that that's another wonderful thing about the internet. And then thinking about the the differences that we've made between shortwave radio and um, now live stream uh, high bandwidth radio is the the effectiveness of people because you were based in Slovakia while you were doing this right now at that time I was oh. in the UK I was in London oh, in yeah. the UK 
but I mean, it's, it's very exciting to know that there are virtually no boundaries for ideals and no boundaries for help as long as there is the, the internet and some mutual form of communication. And, um, it's like, I wish that there was more quality broadcasting because I, I feel like the last three years have been really chaotic with where the internet has gone. And I'm really, um, glad that podcasts have, have kind of risen or even, uh, live streaming radio have, have risen as a media medium or media as, uh, for, for people to, to enjoy because, a lot of times it's really hard to find information now with how technologies change their algorithms to prioritize certain information and everything of that sort. But um, if we were going to talk about um, information, when you do your live streams, do you save and back up all of your information or do you, or do you save for a certain period of time and then move on and get rid of all your data um, do, you, or do, you mean, you, do you mean the, the, the actual programming? Yeah, the, the, the programming. Um, no, or, no, that, that's, that's retained. Um, yeah. th th there's two things I'll, I'll come to, and you, you raise a really good point in the middle of all that, which actually is very prevalent to uh, Wednesday the 13th of February this year, yeah. uh, because it's uh, UNESCO's World Radio Day on the 13th of February this year. Um, and we're involved with that. And our our submission to UNESCO was based upon being able to supply information to listeners and, and others in in such a way that, um, for example, not everybody can afford an internet television because they're still quite expensive in many places. Yeah. But if you have a, a television with um, certain connectors on the back of it, it doesn't matter which ones it can be, will be techie from it, and even be an RS-232 on the yeah. back, as long as it's got a sound uh, input as well, uh, rather than HDMI. Y you can actually get a television with an older connector on the back, go to somewhere like the auction sites, and you will find on there lots of old laptops with broken screens and it's not worth fixing them they end up on these auction sites for maybe thirty dollars they're useless to most people but to me they're actually wonderful things because yeah. you can plug one into the back of the television have a wireless keyboard and mouse and yeah. you've now got a fully operational internet television for 30 bucks yeah now isn't that amazing and it's so simple. And it opens up a whole world of radio, television and prints that your television can only dream of doing. So there's a lot of technology we do keep, or the, the reporting of it. Some, some of it we regurgitize every now and again. But in, in truth, everything that we do is archived away and we're into terabytes of storage now uh, of, of programming. Uh, and I, I, I'm very flattered because a lot of the programs I lost over the years, but they've started reappearing on Mixcloud and YouTube, where the listeners and viewers have put my old TV programs and radio programs up 
on the net for everybody else to see. And, yeah. and you know, I'm very humbly when people do that. But we do keep everything. We try and update stuff. We don't necessarily web all the time because data today can be very, very out of date and mislead people in four or five years' time. So we will pull it out if we need it. We do have it. Um, I, I have interviews with people going way, way back, um, and, I, and I think a couple of them. Uh, one was a fantastic interview that I did with Joe Barbera from Hanna-Barbera, and, and that was 40 years ago. Uh, and to actually interview Joe Barbera at the time was an unknown thing. I also had the honour of interviewing Wilma Flintstone, better known as Jean van der Pyle, although she's not with us now. And, yep. you know, to have Wilma talking, screaming, Eric, get the dog in or something that she did was quite fun. So we, we, we do do all of those things. And equally, we have um, recordings of being Goon Hilly Earth Station, where the first Telstar pictures were received. And we were there doing broadcasting, and we've saved all of that. I don't know why, but we have. Uh, yep. Sometimes it'll come in handy. Uh, hopefully, it's a little piece of broadcast history that can be put onto the YouTubes of this world and maybe entertain somebody, we hope, in a few years' time. Yep. Well, thank you for all of that. And then just to maybe probe into a couple of minutes here, so with radio broadcasting and just kind of the culture around it, if you had to describe corporate broadcasting, private broadcasting, or anything like that, what kind of footwear would you say? Um, <laughs> your, your, I, I know this is really weird. I know, you know, but on a shoestring, like I'm, I'm really curious because like we, we started on a good note where you said that a lot of your early broadcasting for a studio was a, upwards of up to 15,000 pounds. And today mm. you're able to, to move down to a few thousand pounds and still get very um, comparable um, output and, and production mm -hmm. in a studio today. So, um, you know, th that would be something like on a shoestring budget, right? Um, yeah, yeah, so taking... would, but, but there's a, there, people are just not going to believe this, song, but it's true. Um, when I do live broadcasting, and, and the next one will be in five days' time from this building. Yep. And that starts at lunchtime. Now, when you see me in the morning, I've had a shower. I have shaved. I always shave on the day of broadcast. I will have clean shoes. Uh, it doesn't matter which ones. Or as a friend of mine once said, um, Eric could have the armpits of a thousand smelly camels but his shoes would always shine. And, and I think that if you get into that mindset of being right, being... I mean, when have you ever seen me when you've been watching the podcast or the programme I do? You will yep. never see me with a scruffy 11 o'clock shadow. I've always shaved, because I always do. Yep. Um, it, it, it's respecting your audience. It's preparing yourself for the day ahead and to do that even when there was no cameras or webcams or anything right the way through if i'm doing a broadcast i prepare me properly 
so that I'm prepared for the for the audience. And that includes having a shower, get shaved, have a drink before you start, you know, getting yourself ready. And you know, clean shoes are a must. Yep. Perfect. No, and um, I really appreciate that little background note. That that adds even more detail to uh, watching the live broadcasts. So <laughs> if anybody wants to check you out, um, where can they find you? So On, on, on Facebook, it's where, uh, well, the main website is very simple. All you have to put in is rti.fm. That's oh. rti.fm. Um, and there's links there. But you will also find us on Facebook under RTI Radio or facebook.com slash RTI. You will find us on all the different social media platforms, um, be it the new Xbox platform that they're built or Microsoft's building at the moment where they're yep. putting TV and radio onto the Xbox uh, through to smaller, very old networks like Shoutcast. So you, you'll find us all over the place, but if you get stuck, the easy one to remember is rti.fm, and you can go from there to just about anywhere. Perfect. I will make sure to share those links in the description and everything when the episode gets up. So without a doubt, I want to say thank you for letting me probe your mind, and thank you for some great stories. It definitely adds a lot more... Um, detail and just enjoyment of who you are as a broadcaster thank you that's very great we look forward to you being there on friday young sir well thank you for the obligation i will be around <laughs> all right i'll talk to you later take care have a good one Sol.